the good news of this passage is, is not, let's all be like Moses. The good news is that in this critical moment, when Moses is under attack, once again, the spirit of, of the Lord Jesus Christ is working, is operative in, in the life of Moses. Welcome back to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. You're listening to episode 118. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Reverend Mark Vanderhart, Associate Professor of Old Testament Studies, introduces us to a three-part theme of being Christ-like in conflict. As Reverend Vanderhart has said before, Scripture is not silent about the conflicts that have attended the life of the church throughout her history, so it can be a real benefit to us when we consider the tremendous impact that our Savior made through His Holy Spirit, even upon the life of the church in the Older Covenant era, that is, in the Old Testament. With that in mind, Reverend Vanderhart is going to take us through a series of Old Testament accounts of conflict and how the Spirit of Christ is with his people in such passages. He begins today with a couple of rebellions against Moses. Take a listen. I wanted to introduce the topic of being Christ-like in conflict and focus upon a number of episodes in the history of uh, redemption as that's recorded in the Old Testament. There are many to which we could turn, but the first one that I want to look at is how does Moses encounter conflict and how does he respond to it? Uh, We all know the stories of Moses. If we've gone to a Christian school or we paid attention in Sunday school, and we learn how Moses flees from the Pharaoh after uh, murdering um, an Egyptian. He comes back years later, 40 years later, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now, that would be a great episode of redemption, and it was. In fact, the exodus out of Egypt is the great gospel paradigm of the Old Testament. If you asked your average Israelite, what did Yahweh do for you, do for us? An Israelite might say, well, when we were slaves in Egypt, Yahweh, the Lord our God, brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. But the particulars of that redemption were not always so uh, comfortable. We have to remember that Israel, in coming out of Egypt, is spiritually like a young child. If you think of a Christian growing from um, spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, then reflect on this fact that the Israelites have been in Egypt for about 400, 430 years. And in that slavery, they were not well catechized. They were not well developed in terms of their spirituality. And so the reactions that the Israelites have to difficulties in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness uh, are parallel to, I think, the struggles that are the reactions that young children have to difficulties. Many of the difficulties that the Israelites encountered were regarding food and drink. Uh, But not only that, there was the whole matter of uh, the leadership. Um, 
of, of the people. In terms of food and drink, if there's food that's lacking, the Israelites would complain to Moses, you know, you, t- you brought us out here to die. We have no food. And Yahweh provides miraculously manna, this interesting food that appears uh, every morning. The Israelites uh, are to collect it six days of the week. Uh, there would be enough for them to rest on the Sabbath day and they would not have to work on the Sabbath day. Later on, they complain about the lack of variety. All we have is manna. We're sick of this. We remember the diet we had in Egypt, uh, the, the vegetables and the meats we were able to eat in Egypt. And so God says, all right, I'll give you quail until it's coming out of your mouth. And uh, in many of these responses to their grumbling, God God um, kills many of them, or there's complaining about uh, water. In any case, Moses hears complaints. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Why are we here? Are we there yet? You think of a young child complaining uh, when you're taking them, uh, the family, on a vacation. We're hungry. We're thirsty. I'm tired of this. And Moses has to hear it all the time. Well, when we come to Numbers 11, for example, there is this complaint about food there. And again, uh, Moses reacts. He leads the people of Israel through uh, this. Uh, And then we move on to Numbers 12. And there the revolt against Moses, interestingly, doesn't come from the Israelite as a people, It comes from Moses' siblings. Now, in terms of birth order, uh, I think we can safely say from the biblical text that Miriam is an older sister. Miriam was the sister who was assigned, watch the little boat, the little ark, in which Moses, the infant, is floating in the Nile. And uh, you know, caught in the uh, the plants along the, the the Nile shore, and it's Miriam who goes to the daughter of Pharaoh to say, "I know a woman who could take care of this child, this Hebrew child," and she solicits her own mother, Moses' mother, who takes care uh, of Moses as he grows up, being uh, subsidized with Egyptian money, which is a which should cause any Israelite reader to smile. So obviously Miriam is is uh, older than Moses, maybe 10, 12, maybe even 15 years older. We are told in the text that Aaron, Moses' brother, is three years older. And if Moses is unable to speak to the Pharaoh fluently, then, then um, Aaron will speak. In other words, when God chooses a leader for his people to take them through the wilderness, he doesn't choose the oldest. He doesn't choose the most eloquent of the children to speak. He he picks Moses. Now, whenever God calls, he also equips. When God calls, he calls to an office that has, you know, particular uh, reasons for respect, but also... Um, duties, and Moses is to be the shepherd 
who takes not literal sheep anymore, but takes care of the flock of, of Israel. And then when we come to Numbers 12, the rebellion there, the rebellion there is uh, interesting in that um, the, the presenting complaint is about Moses' wife. Now, he had married a Cushite woman. Now, earlier in Exodus, we learned that the wife of Moses is Zipporah, the daughter of a Midianite priest. Here we're told that he has a Cushite woman, and uh, you know a lot of uh, scholarly ink is spilled in trying to explain, well, is this a second wife? Is this, is this Zipporah under a different description? In any case, that's not really... That's not really the reason why Miriam and Aaron are complaining. Numbers 12 verse 2 says, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And Yahweh heard it. Well, there's the complaint. And um, how does Moses react to that? Verse 3 gives us a descriptive statement. Now the man Moses was very meek more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. Um, that's an interesting thing for um, Moses, the writer, uh, to write. In any case, he doesn't plead his own cause here. Now, I think any of us reflecting upon a rebellion, even if it comes from your own siblings, maybe especially if it were to come from your own siblings, would be to lash out and to strike back. And the fact that Moses doesn't really defend himself should cause any reader to say, why? With, when the Israelites complain, Moses sometimes gets very exasperated. And he says, you know, Lord, um, uh, take your people, uh, you deal with them. Or when uh, Yahweh threatens to destroy Israel and raise up a new people, uh, then Moses is prepared to intercede. But here he just sort of lets the accusation stand and let Yahweh be both judge, jury, and, uh, shall we say, executioner of a sentence. Here is where the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is, I think, coming through and working in the life and heart of Moses in such a way that the natural tendency to lash back, to defend oneself, and to strike back is restrained. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control and patience, and gentleness. And here, that those qualities of meekness come through. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was meek and uh, tender and mild, who did not uh, speak up when he was falsely accused. You think of his own trial before uh, the Sanhedrin and even Pilate. It's only when they sort of force Jesus to uh, speak that he will speak. Otherwise, he remains like a sheep before its shears is dumb, and he doesn't open his mouth. And so Moses allows Yahweh to take the case and to plead his cause and to remind us, to remind Miriam and Aaron that uh, Moses is somewhat unique. Uh, we drop down to verse 6 in um, Numbers 12, and there we read, and he said, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Now, those were normal methods whereby Yahweh would reveal himself 
to prophets, to uh, agents, um, human messengers who would bring the word of God to others. And that's, he says, if there's a prophet, that's how I do it. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. In other words, Moses is unique, but it's Yahweh who points that out, not Moses. And in his punishment, again, interestingly, it is Miriam who uh, comes out white as snow with leprosy, not Aaron. Uh, Why isn't Aaron struck with leprosy? Possibly because his duties as high priest uh, were so important that the Lord spares him from that. Uh, If you are leprous, you are unclean ceremonially, and uh, the process of cleaning, cleansing, has to um, be undergone. And so Miriam is uh, put outside the camp for a period of time, for a week, and uh, restored after that. But I think what we learn in this is that meekness, restraint, self-control are virtues that are given to us not naturally. Oh, yeah, you can meet people who are patient, but um, our natural tendency would be self-defense, striking back. But here is where Yahweh pleads Moses' cause, defends him, and in that way, uh, the good news of this passage is, is not, let's all be like Moses. The good news is that in this critical moment, when Moses is under attack, once again, the spirit of, of the Lord Jesus Christ is working, is operative in, in the life of Moses. And uh, you know, in subsequent chapters, there will be another rebellion, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, a faction of the priests, a faction of the tribe of Reuben, the firstborn, they too say, you know, why does Moses get all the attention? Isn't all of Israel holy? There's a grain of truth in that. Israel is a holy nation. Exodus 19 pointed that out. But once again is uh, you, don't, you don't take that truth and misconstrue it. All Israel is holy, separate to the Lord. But God has chosen Moses to be the leader Uh, to be the shepherd who will guide this nation to the promised land. And Yahweh's decisions stand. And so uh, when this rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram uh, reaches sort of a a critical point, a boiling point, the judgment of Yahweh comes through. And uh, whole families are swallowed up into the earth. No gravestones to mark their demise. And uh, the false, or, or the, those who want to be priests and therefore replace Moses and his family, uh, they come before the Lord and divine fire strikes out and they are consumed. Again, uh, let the Lord plead his case. Um, we don't have to take the instruments of anger and striking back into our own hands, but we allow the Lord to uh, plead his own cause and to establish his own cause. And the most dramatic, the most dramatic, it seems to me, uh, demonstration that uh, Aaron is the chosen priest, high priest, and priestly family is when his dead staff 
is placed before the Lord and it comes alive. It buds, there's leaves, there's, there's, uh, there's fruit. Clearly um, a demonstration that uh, for all to see, that of all the tribes, uh, Aaron is the, the selected of the Lord and the, the high priest for the people of God. Tune in next week as Reverend Vanderhart takes us through the account of David and Absalom. Where is the spirit of Christ present in this tumultuous family conflict? Tune in next week to find out. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts. And wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.